welcome to the Preston Minster podcast. We want you to find your home, find your purpose and transform your city. I don't know if you've ever been mistaken for somebody else before. There's a bit of a case of mistaken identity. Whether you've had your identity stolen or whether you've just kind of bumped into someone and met them for the first time and they sort of feel like they've met you before. Has anybody ever had that? I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people have had that. I don't know if anybody's ever been mistaken for a celebrity or somebody kind of like quite important in in life. I don't know. Perhaps turn to your neighbor actually and uh, tell them the funniest story about you being mistaken for somebody else. Go for it. Just 30 seconds. Great. Good stuff. Well, you can carry on those very funny conversations um, after church if you would like to. I feel like I get mistaken for people all the time. Sometimes it's just random. I was walking through the park when it was dark several months ago, and somebody from a distance just started talking to me like, how are you doing? And I was like, I was the only person there. I was like, I'm fine. How are you? And then they came closer, and they were like, oh, you're not what I thought you were. Sorry. And sometimes I get, sometimes people don't recognize who I am, though. I once walked out of here not too long ago. Old gentleman walking up the passageway. He said, tell the vicar the clocks need changing. I said, all right, I'll tell the vicar the clocks need changing. I walked down the passageway a little bit. I said, vicar, the clocks need changing. And they're still not changed. Um, I feel like I often get mistaken, but I always say to people, oh, I think I've got one of those faces. Do you say that? You know, when people say, oh, have we met before? Have we met before? Did you go to such and such a school? Do you know Joe Barrow? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've got one of those faces that people, they're just sort of like generic, bland face that people have (laughs) that gets mistaken. Um, This is an interesting passage because um, uh, the people Paul and Barnabas are speaking to Uh, mistake what's happening for something else completely different. And I don't know if you've ever mistook the activity of God for something else. I don't know if you've ever kind of, in retrospect, in hindsight, looked back on your life and you've thought, oh, I really thought God was doing something completely different. Or I was in a season of particular opposition, but I can see God working in and through those difficult times. I don't know if you've ever mistook what the Lord is up to in your life. I assume you have. And for all of us, we know that life brings with it a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of difficulties, a lot of complexities that we don't quite understand in the moment. Sometimes we might never fully understand. We might have questions like, why did God allow that really painful thing to happen to me or to somebody that I love? We might think to ourselves, God, what are you doing in this season? It just feels like such a hard season. And I'm trying my best as well. There are some of the most perplexing moments when you are trying to do the right thing and the results 
that are coming out look like the exact opposite. And you're doing your best to serve God. Perhaps it might be in the workplace. You entered that workplace however many years ago or months ago and you thought, yes, God, you've called me here. You've provided this job. You want me to be a light here. But perhaps you found co-workers are not so friendly. Perhaps they've been talking about you behind their back. Perhaps you've been facing different difficulties even though you keep trying to do the right thing. And it might leave you feeling discouraged. I think for many of us, we experience, and there'll be people in a room this size that are going through seasons of discouragement, thinking, is it even worth it? All of this good that I'm trying to do, all of this impact that I'm trying to make, is it worth it? Because I keep pushing doors and they keep slamming in my face. I keep trying to do the right thing, but it feels like I'm taking one step forward and two steps backwards. If you've ever felt like that, then you're in good company this morning. And I believe God's word is going to speak to you powerfully. So we're picking up the text this morning in Acts chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading from verse 8. And it says this, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only humans like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So, that is a cracking story. That is a brilliant story, honestly. Like, I, I, you know, some of it is absolutely hilarious as well, but we'll pick it bit by bit. And, um, Paul and Paul and Barnabas, if you're here for the first time, 
uh, we've been journeying with them as they've traveled around the ancient world. They were commissioned uh, to head off on a, on a missionary journey to go around different parts of the ancient world, telling people the good news about Jesus. And they visited lots of different places in the ancient world. And as they rock up, they always kind of head to the synagogue and they open the scriptures and they sort of talk to people and they reason with them. And they're really talking to people about this one idea, this one idea of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that being the kind of gateway, if you like, to a relationship with God. So everywhere they go, they're always talking about Jesus and encouraging people to come and to follow him. We've seen in them like a relentless persistence because the response to their their preaching has been mixed. Some people have absolutely loved it and they followed Jesus, or they followed Paul and Barnabas and in turn followed Jesus, and it's been amazing. But other places they've gone to. Um, people have really hated them. And you see that in this passage as well. Some believe, some really hate what is being said by Paul and Barnabas. So there are these extreme reactions to um, what Paul and Barnabas are saying. So last time we were uh, together, they were, um, uh, they, they, been threatened with stoning, so they fled to this place called Lystra, which is in southern Turkey. And the big idea I want to draw out of the passage today, that I think is going to be such an encouragement to you and to all of us, is that faithfulness is greater than fruitfulness. Okay, faithfulness is greater than fruitfulness. And that might sound backwards, because we bang on about finding your purpose all the time. Outside on the board, it's got this big well, actually, a big sign. Somebody ripped it off, actually. We're getting a new one because we still want people to find their purpose. It's on the website and things like that. But we're pumped about people finding their purpose. And we're always talking about this series is how to change the world. We're like, God has placed stuff in you to go and to be fruitful. And God says, go forth and be fruitful. We're always talking about fruitfulness, about making an impact in this world. But God first and foremost, wants us to focus on faithfulness. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. But what a passage today, guys. Honestly, what a passage. There they are, Paul and Barnabas. They've rocked up this new place, southern Turkey, and uh, preaching the message of the gospel, talking to people about Jesus. This guy who has been lame since birth, is, is healed. And he gets up and starts not only walking, but it says in the text that he starts jumping as well. The guy is overjoyed. But the reaction is absolutely hilarious. They literally want to sacrifice bulls and offer wreaths and stuff to Paul and Barnabas because they say, wow, the gods have come down to live amongst us. And they give them new names and things like that. And it's this hilarious scene of Paul and Barnabas being like, guys, no, it's not, that's not what it's about. We, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not what it's about. It's all about like God. God has revealed himself to you, like focus on him. But even that doesn't uh, sort of change their mind. And then some Jews come and, and, and sort of turn them against Paul and Barnabas. So they go from wanting to sacrifice bulls in their honor to wanting to sacrifice them because of their bad message. So the crowd, they're more fickle than a Man United fans. I thought you'd like that. Some, I thought some of you would like it. 
is a football joke. I'm not much of a football guy, but I was writing it and I was like, ooh, more fickle than a Man United crowd. <laughs> Sorry, David. And any other Man United fans. I don't know how fickle they are at all, but I feel like it's appropriate for this message. Um, and they, and they, yeah, so they turn on Paul and Barnabas, which is quite a turnaround. It's quite a 180. And then they, they stone Paul, like throw stones at him until they think he's dead and drag him out of the city. Most scholars believe that what takes place is a resurrection because they're so sure he's dead, they remove him from the city. And it talks about the disciples gathering around, that sort of in, in prayer, in a posture of prayer. And then Paul is, what, what seems here, is miraculously um, resurrected. Uh, so it's an amazing, amazing passage, and I think it teaches us something about faithfulness being greater than fruitfulness. And we just want to unpack a few different things uh, this morning. The first thing I think is, is really important to us, and it's going to be important to you if you're discouraged particularly. If you're not in a season of discouraged, tug this one away in the back pocket, because this is going to be helpful for you when you go through that season of discouragement. The first thing we see is that God gives us, people, more agency than we realize. I love the word agency. It's a mix between responsibility and authority. God gives everybody more agency than we realize. Did God move in Acts 14, verses 8 to 20? Yes. Yes, he did. God miraculously raised up this guy who had been lame since birth, an undeniable miracle, so much so that the crowd is ready to bring out the bulls and the wreaths and, and get on with the sacrificing and stuff like that. The response to what has happened is, is crazy, and that shows us that God's at work. God has raised this person um, you know, up on their feet again for the very first time. Uh, and Paul and Barnabas, they try their best, don't they, in verse 15, to start to reason with them, to reason with the crowd. They say, why are you doing this? We are only humans like you. We are here to bring you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things. In other words, we're here to tell you to turn away from worshiping created things, to worship, to direct you to worship the Creator. They um, appeal to creation, Paul and Barnabas, in verse 16. They say, in the past, God let all nations go their own way, yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But they still, the crowd that they're talking to, they still reject the message and they try to sort of shoehorn Paul and Barnabas into their own worldview. They try to mold them into their own way of thinking, their own belief structure, rather than turning from their futile ways and turn into the living God. So what's interesting in this passage is that God is undeniably at work. Someone's been healed. But in, this is interesting. God is clearly not intervening in their response. They, the crowd, they have the ability to choose. Their, their ability to choose is well and truly intact. God is not robbing them of responsibility because God is not a control freak. There's this, this mystery between God's sovereignty and our choice, and it is a mystery. 
And God is sovereign, and he is in control, and he is in charge. He hasn't just set the world in motion and let everything run. He is at work actively all the time in the world. But it's interesting in this passage, he does not interfere with their ability to choose. He allows them. And my hope is that that speaks to your situation. Because you might be there in that workplace, trying to be the light of the world, trying to witness to your neighbors, trying to do good in order that you might point people to Jesus, trying to live a life that glorifies God and getting knocked back and getting doors closed and getting discouraged and getting pushbacks and even people perhaps being quite opposed to you, speaking negatively about you to your face or behind your back or whatever it is. And I hope this gives some form of perspective because God will not interfere with our sense of agency, our sense of responsibility. God is in control, but he forces no man or no woman. He chooses to allow them to choose. And I wonder whether you are letting somebody else's reaction or your circumstances shape what you think God is or isn't doing? Are you allowing somebody else's reaction or your circumstances shape what you think God's doing or what he isn't doing? And for me, that's a powerful question to grapple with. Because when we're facing challenges, when we're facing battles and difficulties... We might even be saying, God, I'm doing the right thing. Why are they not changing? Why is this circumstance not changing? Why am I not seeing a breakthrough? Paul and Barnabas could have said that, couldn't they? There they are, stepping out, being brave, being bold. Lord, we've come to Lystra, and we've come and we've proclaimed your word, and you've miraculously healed this man. Why why are the crowd, why are the city not turning to you? They could quite easily have said that. In Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one of them comes back to say thank you. And God doesn't intervene. He doesn't interfere with their sense of choice, their ability to choose. God gives people more agency than we realize. And I think that is really, really important. And it's a defense against discouragement. Because when we face those discouragement, we need to remember that they are living their lives. They are running their race. The circumstances around us are affected by many, many variables that we do not see. But God is more interested in our faithfulness, not in fruitfulness. And even Jesus himself experienced that lack of gratitude, like the Son of God on earth heals 10 people and only one says thank you. That's annoying, isn't it? You know, when people don't say thank you. Uh, we did this thing uh, with the Cardinal Newman students. We had about 700 Cardinal Newman student, students come through uh, at the beginning of October in the run-up to Alpha. And if you are a Cardinal Newman student or you know any, give them a massive pat on the back. It's just a college, six-form college down here if you're if you're not familiar, because those guys say thank you. We were giving out free pizza, and they were all very grateful. That was my job. I was giving out the pizza. I was behind the counter. I like that job. 
just giving out the pizza, give the pizza. Uh, and they, was, they were really thankful. I wrote to the headmaster and said, there's some thankful kids. I mean, there's a few people who didn't say thank you, and that's always annoying. But in a college of, like, teenagers, I was like, yes, you, you guys are absolutely on it. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've got kids, you know, when they don't say thank you, that's really annoying, isn't it? So uh, do you ever do the thing where you sort of say their thank you for them? Do you know where you give them the food and you sort of wait? And you give the food, you know, it's on the table, you wait. You don't hear anything, so they say, thank you, Dad. That's so kind of you. Thank you so much for bringing my food. Oh, it's fine, Sarah, and don't worry at all, no worries at all. Oh, sorry, I've given away. <laughs> anyway, um, she's not here today. Um, but you do that thing, you know, you sort of like say their thank you for them. Um, but yeah, that is one of the, the things that I find really annoying when people don't say thank you. Um, but it's, in, it's important to remember, it's important for me to remember, it's important for you to remember, God gives people the choice. People have more agency than we realize. And do you see why this is important, that God won't force people? Do you see why it makes a difference? It's because other people's actions or inactions are not a judgment on what you're doing right or wrong. Okay? You need to be running your own race. God is interested in faithfulness over fruitfulness. Secondly, we see in this passage, God is more interested in our hearts than we realize. Verse 14, Paul, when Barnabas heard, Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes. They're just like gutted, like... They've healed this person, and uh, they've just got it completely wrong. So verse 14, when Paul and, Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd, shouting, why are you doing this? And can we pause for a second and just be real about this for, for a moment? Because Paul and Barnabas are in a new place, in Lystra, southern Turkey, and the people there, they perform this amazing miracle, and the people there are prepared to worship them. They're prepared to offer them worship. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, that sounds weird, doesn't it? That actually they would be prepared to worship them, sacrifice the bulls. It's such a kind of uproar. But they are essentially prepared to elevate them to this amazing position of honor and blessing in their, in their society. Now, I don't know about you, but if the whole city came out to me and said, Hey, Sam, it's amazing what you're doing. You perform this amazing miracle. We want to sacrifice to you. Maybe they wouldn't say that in this day and age. But maybe they'd say something different. Like, we want to give you, yeah, you could be like the king of Preston. Yeah, Sam, you could be the king of Preston. I know that sounds bonkers, but imagine if it happened. It'd be, and, I, you know, I, I want to be honest. There's a part of me, if, if the people of Preston came to me and said, Sam, we want you to be the king of Preston. There's a part of me. I'm not going to tell you how much that part is by percentage-wise or anything like that. It's probably, it's probably quite on the high end. But if they did, there's a part of me. They would be like, oh, what, you want me to be the king of Preston? Um, oh, okay then, okay. And, you know, Paul and Barnabas essentially had that offer. You know, the whole city had come out to them and said, we're going to give you different names. We'll call you Zeus and Hermes. And, you know, we're going to sacrifice you. You guys, it's amazing. You're like the gods who have come down to us in human form. And there's a part of all of us that is always tempted by that offer of position and platform and so on. But notice their reaction. 
Their hearts are for the Lord. They know that God is at work. Their hearts are for the Lord. Their hearts are strong. And that's what God is interested in. And it might not look like God is at work because the whole crowd has missed the point. They could have been tempted to be discouraged. Oh, we've healed them, but they really don't get it. It's really not working. Maybe we're going to leave. Maybe we'll just accept their worship. I don't know. But they could, you know, they could have been led to discouragement. See, the thing is, when you're up against it, it's like you're in the spiritual gym. When you're facing opposition, it's an opportunity to turn to the Lord. And Paul and Barnabas are facing like a dual attack here. It's a, an attack of an offer of position. It's also coupled with discouragement. And Paul and Barnabas could say, ah, oh, these guys just don't understand what's going on, and they want to give us a position of significance in this city. Maybe we should just take it. And there's a word for all of us here in, in Christian ministry, whether you're a group leader or whether you lead a team or whether you're on the staff team here at Preston Minster. But all of us are really in, in Christian ministry, positions of influence. You might be a Christian business leader or, or somebody in a position of leading a team. And there's a, there's a word for us from this, this passage. And it's a word about putting the Lord first in all of our, in all of our dealings. Because when we get a position, it comes with a pedestal. We get a platform. We get to stand on a stage and talk to people. And that temptation to sort of give in to power or pride is very, very seductive and very, very real. And the last few years, sadly, have been littered with many, many stories of church leaders particularly who have been given that position and that pedestal and it's led to their downfall because the power has gone to their, their heads and they've slipped into great, huge moral failures and so on. Power can be a temptation for every single one of us. Paul and Barnabas are being offered power. That, that, that's seductive, very, very seductive. But what, what I love about this passage is that they choose not the position, not the power, they choose to point people to Jesus. They say no to that position. And discouragement often comes with a, a, a sort of open door of distraction. And Paul and Barnabas could have been discouraged by this crowd's response. You might be here this morning discouraged because the circumstances around you are not what you expected. The cards that you've been dealt in life are not the ones you would have chosen for yourself. The, the, the sort of impact that you're making in the world isn't as great as you would like it to have been. You might be feeling discouragement. And it's easy when we feel that disappointment to blame God. God, I've been trying so hard. I've been praying for them so much. Why are they not changing? Why are my circumstances not changing? But the thing is, God is so much more interested in what's going on in our hearts rather than what other people are doing. When discouragement comes, and it will, and many of us are in it at the moment, how will you respond? 
Because the, oppo the opposition is an opportunity to grow. Like I said, when you're in a season of opposition and discouragement, it is an opportunity to get in that spiritual gym and strengthen those muscles of resilience and perseverance and strengthen yourself in the Lord. And a reminder that we can't control other people. Don't let other people's insecurities or anxieties or hurtful words distract you from running the race that God has called you to run. God is interested in your heart, in your faithfulness, because faithfulness is greater than fruitfulness. And when we're faithful, the fruitfulness will flow. But God is first and foremost interested in our hearts and interested in our faithfulness. And then finally, God's goodness is more than we realize. So we've seen so far that God gives people more agency than we realize. We've seen so far that God gives, God's more interested in our hearts than we realize. And finally, God's goodness is more than we realize. It's a very fascinating verse, verse 11. The people of the city say, the gods have come down to us in human form. A very interesting verse. They were so amazed at the idea, the potential, that God would have come down in human form. That's interesting, isn't it? It reminds me of that Alanis Morissette song. What if God was one of you know it, come on, you know it. I won't sing all of it, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus, trying to make his way home. Modern day prophet, uh, poet, Alanis Morissette. What a lady. Um, but I was listening to that song, I'm like, he did become one of us. You know, you read this passage, it's so interesting that they're very close to getting to the crux of what it's all about. Verse 11, they say, oh, the gods have come down to us in human form. Wouldn't that be amazing? But the goodness of God is that he has. God has come down in human form. Actually, Paul and Barnabas are there to tell them that God, Jesus, has come down to them in human form. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. God with us. God become one of us. And there's something in this verse that reminds us of the goodness of God. God is so much better than we realize. These people were so close to accepting the goodness of God. And that's a message for the discouraged. That's a message for the discouraged. That God is so much better than we realize. We might dare to dream that God would come to us. We might dare to dream that he would extend a hand to somebody like us. We might dare to dream that God would transform some of our insecurities or our anxieties. And what we see from the whole testimony of Scripture is that the goodness of God is relentless. The goodness of God pursues us every day of our lives. And you might be sat here this morning thinking, oh, I just wish that was true for me, that God would come to me in my situation, that God would step down into my situation. Ultimately, I'm here to tell you this morning that he has in the person of Jesus. God has walked the path that you have walked. 
He has felt the feelings that you feel. He has felt that temptation to give in to discouragement. He has felt that temptation to give in to to power or doing things the wrong way in order to get ahead. He knows what you are going through. He knows. And he is better than you could ever imagine. And you might be hearing that for the first time this morning or for the thousandth time. But God is good. And he is at work in your life. And some of you have been interpreting the circumstances that you're in and the response of other people as God not being at work in your life. And you need to know today that God is at work in your heart. He is interested and after your heart. And he is good. Thank you so much for listening to the Preston Minster podcast. We'll see you again soon.